0: I would like to welcome you to the Shipowners P&I Club podcast series. I'm Simon Swallow, the chief executive of the club, and I would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcasts, which we believe offer an exciting new way of delivering relevant and insightful content to our members and their brokers, and to the many other stakeholders who work with and support the operations of the club, such as our global P&I. Respondents. Covering a range of topics with guest speakers from different backgrounds across the maritime and insurance industry, and with a special focus promoting safety of life and property at sea, we hope that you will find the discussions with our club representatives interesting and useful to you in your own operation. Thank you.
1: Hi, I'm Nicola Kingman, Manager of the Yacht Syndicate at Shipowners. Welcome to episode three of the Yacht Electrical Fires Podcast. In this episode, our loss prevention executive, Charlie Cooper, will be discussing some of the technical issues surrounding the topic from the perspective of a major yacht in flag state with his guest Edouard Henney, a surveyor with the Cayman Islands Shipping Registry. Hi, I'm Charlie Cooper. Welcome to episode three of the Yacht Fire Podcast. Today I have with me Edward Henney, Flag State Surveyor for the Cayman Islands. Hi Edward. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background in the marine industry? No, I'm a seafarer myself. Uh... During my
0: seagoing career, I worked on shipyards and on board of ships, faring from cargo ships to uh, to cruise liners. The last I did was a, a square rigger. Was actually a passenger ship, bit of an odd one, but good experience. And in that capacity, I got introduced to a lot of legislation because there was some dispute between the flag state and the U.S. Coast Guard. Hence, there was a lot of uh, rules to dig through. That led to me arriving in Lloyd's, a little of contact with them. I joined Lloyd's. After this, Stadt Amsterdam dispute and worked seven years for Lloyds. And there I got coincidentally, basically, in the yachting industry, because in the Amsterdam region of Lloyds, there's a lot of yacht new construction going on. And When I started there, it was about 10% of my work was yachts. And actually, after the seven years, I kind of had 90% for my yacht was, of my work was yacht new construction. And in that phase, we were looking to go abroad. This was all in Holland. And one thing led to another that came in the registry and needed a local surveyor in the, in the south of France. And to cut a long story short, I worked with them together already in a Lloyd's capacity. And I basically moved to that team and being on the flag state side of it. That's now more than 10 years already. And in those 10 years, I have literally, well, I think, 110 yachts per year. So, so I see quite a lot of yachts in my current capacity. In Lloyd's, it was, of course, a new build project. So it was already a lot, but it was a longer project. But now I do the periodicals and the audits, which is... Uh, this week, already three and counting. So that's 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 my experience on the yachts now. And also, we do a lot of audits on the yard management companies, which are now being held remote due to the COVID situation. But I often attend these as well as an auditor. That's you, a bit of my background.
1: Yeah, you so you've got, got a lot of experience kind of ranging from both the new build to kind of surveying kind of current tonnage and working with kind of the yacht management companies. So definitely a valuable guest to this podcast. So welcome. I hope so. Thank you very much. (laughs) Kind of, you obviously know that this podcast is talking about yacht electrical fires. Could you share some details of uh, maybe a recent relevant incident that you've experienced on this topic?
0: The ones which spring to mind without naming any names, but the one which springs to mind is that we had a fire at a yacht where actually the fire originated behind the lining. So you had the the nice interior, but behind the lining to hide electrical components. There was a lot of, well, let me say, uh, outfitting companies are good. Some are less good than others. And there was was some outfitting there which was not optimal. And a fire originated there. And due to the hidden nature, it could spread out to the ship without immediately being noticed. These are examples of, uh, of typical electrical things, because were, those electrical components are hidden. And Another one that springs to mind is a yacht that had actually an incident with an uh, underwater scooter with a big lithium-ion battery, and that led to a fire on board. And this actually led to that we as Cayman now as an additional survey requirement. Regardless if the yacht is private or commercially registered, we have a so-called concentrated inspection campaign, which is... Yeah, the term is stolen from port state control, but we have a f- certain topics where we think it's good to point the attention to, and one of these topics is actually uh, actually the uh, lithium-ion battery toys on board. Fair-riding from the, the scooters, electrical bikes is a bit of an, an ongoing topic, but. It's, And These these bicycles have larger batteries than a few years ago, so they increase in power. And we have seen some electric motorbikes as well. But we want to draw the attention of the the operator, the owner and the crew. How you store these items, what can you do to prevent a fire from happening, but also what can you do when there is actually a fire originating in these lithium-ion batteries. So we have insisted on the management companies and the doing a risk assessment towards their water toys, which are powered by the uh, lithium-ion batteries.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because in episode one, we spoke to Sean and Carl from AIG and they mentioned a similar case that they shared. There'd been a fire on board and it was behind panelling and it was smoldering for a while and they discussed the use of thermal imaging cameras and if they'd have had that on board, then they would have been able to find the source of ignition quite quickly and extinguish it quite quickly and therefore it wouldn't have turned out to the the big incident it did.
0: Thermal imaging can reveal a lot of upcoming defects, which you not yet see, but if you Put the thermal camera to it, you can see the heat going to the wires and you might be rectifying something which doesn't lead to a fire beforehand. So I think that's a good means of inspection and preventive maintenance, which, which I can only recommend. And the technology is also more available now because you can actually have an app on your phone with a thermal image camera on it. So that might not be the, the thing you use during your special survey for class, but it can be a valuable tool for an engineer on board to on a periodical basis scan his switchboards to see where the hotspots uh, flash up. Yeah,
1: because of course that the best way to stop these fires from happening is stopping them before the maybe the lack of maintenance leads to the fire rather than obviously putting the risk assessments in or whatever afterwards best way to reduce these is to kind of stop them at source. so if this them hopefully this thermal imaging kind of increases in terms of the periodical maintenance and this is reflected in a a reduction in the number of these incidents that we're seeing and again onto the onto the battery topic as well this is something again we're discussing with other surveyors throughout this podcast The, the topics on our podcast a a very topical it seems not just with what we're experiencing so good that we're kind of coming together and hopefully putting out some good content for uh, the listeners to make a change You've obviously been in the industry for quite a while how would you say you've seen the, the this trend changing in terms of electrical fires and what do you think the reason for this is
0: i think that the trend is changing that there is more electrical components on board which is not necessarily a bad thing we are quite happy if they replace a a petrol engine in a garage with a battery-powered jet ski or, or wakeboard what kind of toys they have because in general petrol is even more of an issue than an electrical battery so Moving from petrol to battery power is probably a safety safety increase, but the sheer amount of battery toys on board or hidden components which can be added onto existing systems during refits, uh, the older the yachts get, the, the more systems are overlaid on other systems and there is a potential risk. And also sometimes a a lack of awareness. Battery is regarded as quite safe. But we have seen incidents of exploding batteries and watertight doors. So I think when the awareness raises, I think can be changed for the better to replace petrol. But we are not there yet. Okay. Uh, That's the bit of the trend I see.
1: Yeah, is it interesting you say about electrical systems being built on top of electrical systems because a large percentage of the electrical fires that we see as a club on, on our yachts um, have been uh, caused by faulty lighting or AC units. Is this something that you're kind of seeing at the registry as well?
0: I can pull out a few examples of that. And sometimes you, you, you have basically the surveys span for the, the safety construction site, the electrical components, but there are a lot of non-essential systems which not always get the, the attention they should have so f- via a safety management perspective we can address it but a component as a uh, a battery charger for various laptops or an additional AVAT system on board is not necessarily something which falls always in the scope of the survey indirectly it will be. Because if you just allocate a room for an AVT room, that's a different room than when it was a cabin or it's a different room than when it was a combustion engine there. And I think, for, speaking from our perspective, I think we should be vigilant to refits what's happening. And perhaps the component itself might not be the scope of the survey. The consequences of having, there, having it there might imply that we should look from another angle to it to, to enforce fire protection there. Now, yeah. We see that actually from new build onwards, uh, examples are varying that we see a general arrangement. Our new build surveyor looks at the plan, class society approves the plan. We review the approval. We see the structure fire is all, structure fire protection is all in place. Then we go to the shipyard. On the shipyard, we verify it's built to the plan. That is all in order. But during the build, a, a storage area turns out to be a, a a big electrical system room, which is never put on the plan, but it has yeah. a different category than it originally was designed for and I think there there must be awareness by the, the build team of the owners that they can't just put anything in any room and also we and class of a, need to be vigilant that a room on paper can be turning out to something entirely different in the actual new build or later in the service life because if there's storage space oh, that's easily converted to something electrical and, and we've seen that Yeah, we are aware of it but I, I can only try to raise the awareness more than we are already. And the more we spread this out to well, to managers' captains, that they are aware of it, that, that makes it already a bit easier to deal with it.
1: Yeah. Kind of following on from that, I know you mentioned previously as well about the risk assessments that you insist on for when you're charging your battery-powered toys. What other examples or tools could you give that you as a registry can implement to reduce these kind of fires?
0: Uh, the biggest tool we have is for over 500 gross tonnes is ISM because the, the, the company is already to investigate all relevant risks and needs to cover it by risk assessment. So that is quite a big stick we carry. But as you know, yachts are not always commercial or also not always voluntarily compliant. So for us, the blind spot is actually the yachts which are pleasure registered and not willing to do voluntary compliance. If we categorize our yachts, we can say we, the commercial yachts, They need to comply and they will do it either that they want it, but they have to because they they must do it. Then you have the pleasure yachts, which voluntarily comply. They are usually the highest quality in the fleet because they don't need to do it. They just want to do it because they think they should meet the minimum standards and beyond. So they voluntarily commit themselves to full compliance. But then on the other spectrum, you have the sometimes quite large yachts, which do the bare minimum for compliance with the pleasure rules which basically without going to deep conversation about the mandatory rules and requirements but basically it's marple so they comply with the pollution regulations which are out there and some safety of navigation but there is no requirement formally for from safety equipment to safety construction and that is a bit of a blind spot where, where we think and internally discuss about should we point out more like say, recommendations and one of those initiatives was the risk assessment which we apply regardless of registration status
1: that's interesting because as a club kind of further beyond just not just the yachts that we ensure but as a club we we specialize in small and specialist vessels so we see this problem as well where you have vessels which are under 500 gt and they're not required to comply with the ism we do really encourage them to, to do so to have a voluntary system in place but we kind of know your pain because this is something that we, we try and uh, recommend very strongly to our members to comply with this because having even a basic system in place it can be massively beneficial to operations and safe operations on board uh, yachts and vessels.
0: I fully agree and also we talk about some of the are over 500 gross tons and they don't need to comply with the ISM because they're pleasure registered and the under 500 gross tons we apply the mini ISM so that's the uh, basically an ISM system which you can run on board, but also they have very good systems with very good crew who run a very tight ship. But sometimes the mini ISM is also done in conjunction with a management company, which adds a def- different pair of eyes, which is usually, from a safety perspective, quite good. But again, if the vessel is pleasure, they don't not necessarily will have this in place, and that that's where it is the most challenging, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Kind of going back to the, you mentioned about the storage of toys and maybe utilising the certain spaces on board which aren't necessarily designed for storage of these toys, especially whilst being charged. Do you have any, as a registry, do you have any requirements for the storage of and charging of these toys other than the requirement for the risk assessment we've touched upon earlier?
0: They are coming from the large commercial code, the structure fire protection requirements, but we don't have a, a take on how to charge. it. We, we actually would go via the manufacturer's requirements. So you could ask the question while well, you're charging this in this area, are you doing this as the manufacturer of the toy recommends you to do it? Or what we sometimes see, you put a big charger in an area which is designated for petrol storage. And then you, by putting the big charge there, you breach basically the petrol requirements of that area. So by introducing a, an electrical component, you could actually have an issue with another area. And that's, that's of course, where it mixes in with the with the existing legislation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know class societies have now developed lithium-ion ion battery rules. There's a paper for Lloyd's which addresses this. I believe DMVGL has similar things. And I would I would be surprised if all the other class societies don't have similar papers out there. So it's taken far more serious than it was, for instance, 10 years ago because there's just more out there. But if we refer to specific requirements we have, we have the structurified Protection Requirements from the Large Commercial Yacht Code, now the Red Ensign Code, and of course the, the class rules by the class societies. They sometimes have, have some additional things or more technically driven specifications and rules for that. But that that's, that's our take.
1: Okay. And kind of going back to um, the kind of the incidents that you shared at the start of the, this conversation, do you have a means of kind of, sharing this information with yachts that are registered within the Cayman Islands cuz it's very very useful I think to share the kind of incident experiences and lessons learned and the better we can get these lessons learned out there the the kind of the better chance we have of reducing the risk of these incidents happening again
0: no we have our incident investigation team will send out notifications, and there are some 1A4-type papers on incidents which happen. So it's not a scientific thesis that we send out in the industry. It's just an A4 which clearly defines what you can increase on safety items. And I think that's very powerful, because crew on board of a yacht or any vessel are normally not inclined to read a book for full safety assessments but if it's in, 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 in a good readable format it can address it and I see these safety flies we put out quite often on the notice boards in the crew spaces so that's good And the better uh, the better yards will address it during safety meetings I think that's a very powerful tool we'll have and investigation well the, 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 that's pending the situation it's, it's not that we put the investigation in entirety right away on the table that has to do with local uh, legislation uh, can you share the information but lessons learned are always fed into our own surveys and it's the concentrate inspection campaign and if we can put out a safety flyer our incident investigation team does that and uh, that's appreciated in the industry i know that's uh
1: yeah, uh, uh, again, cl- club-wide, um, we certainly get a lot of interaction on our, on our case studies, so uh, we yeah. know that this kind of technique works in in sharing out best practices and, and lessons learned, because it's quite often better to learn from someone else's mistake or misfortune than it is yourself. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. <laughs> Does the, the registry have anything in the pipeline in terms of new legislation or guidance which may be coming out with respect to your electrical fires?
0: I'm not really in the rule development part of it, but the Red Ensign code is continuously being developed and uh, it has just underwent a step from Ally 3 to the Red Ensign code and there is more attention to this. Plus the fact that uh, what, we, what we already said, class societies are developing rules for lithium-ion batteries as well. So the long answer is I can't put the time frame on the short answer. Yes, it has our and class attention to address.
1: Brilliant. And uh, kind of, what are you all going forward? Uh, what are your predictions on this trend and uh, how do you think it may develop going forward? I, I know you, you touched upon it there where you said that this is having the attention of both the Red Irons Ensign Group and class. What about personally? How do you think this is going to develop and
0: with the new red ensign code and the, the section in the common annexes, it's when you build the yield you have to address it. So that, that's that's not the future, that's already now. When you when you lay the keel now, you have to address it for the for the future new builds or for the current new builds under the red ensign code. So that's that's a step up from two years ago. And for the future, yeah, okay we see now hybrid yields uh, hybrid yields where you have Lithium-ion battery as a propulsion system. Oh, well, then you then you step into an entire different. But I think there, there is a movement for battery banks to lower your um, your energy peaks on board for sailing yachts. You can silently sail the yacht without having generators running, and you can store the the energy, the electrical energy in the in the batteries. That's a trend which will continue. The the trend is towards more green yachts, and that will also incorporate the use of batteries. That you. So that is the trend I foresee, and. I, I said before, the toys, yeah, more and more toys will become electrical. And that's cars become electrical, motorbikes become electrical, water scooters become electrical, or the jet skis become electrical. The, I think you will see more and more electrical components. The good thing about this as well, there is more knowledge about that. We see also a trend on board of yours that the mechanical engineering is a bit less and the emphasis goes to electrical engineering on board. So there is more value in having an ETO on board than a second mechanical engineer. And we see on the large yields trends that you have, people being allocated specifically for AVAT and electrical issues on board of the ship which actually suits the outfitting of the ship and it takes the whole system to a higher level because the knowledge on board increases if you have an additional electrical engineer on board instead of two mechanical engineers
1: it's a good addition and that that trend is there. Kind of following on from that, would you say that therefore from a minimum safe manning perspective that there may be a shift on these larger yachts, as you say, more away from kind of maybe one less engineer to an extra ETO in order to... to or deal an with... extra ETO, I think. That's yeah.
0: be the trend. Indeed, the, the, the larger yachts will require now uh, an ETO. Not specific cases I can't go into, but there is a trend that we also will require ETOs aboard. That's not only us, uh, that's the STCW and that's for cargo ships the same. But the trend is the same on the merchant ship where you also will see a, a bigger emphasis on the electrical and IT issues. Now, we mentioned we can mention cybersecurity, which is an hot topic for next year. That also has the, the demands a bit more IT knowledge on board of the ships for the navigation side. That also move from paper charts to ECDIS which is also a more computer-based system. Some of the yachts have safety systems, which are all electrical uh, or electronically driven from, from the bridge or another control station. So the the move towards this, towards IT, towards electrical, towards electrical
1: propulsion, I can only see that grow. The hope, therefore, is that kind of with this, as the technology grows, the hope that it's better technology and safer technology with less likely to... Combust or being correctly installed, and kind of with the provision of additional ETOs and proper plan maintenance systems, then hopefully the number of electrical components on board as that goes up, the number of claims and incidents we experience hopefully goes down. So, hopefully, that's what we see in the future. Do you have anything else Edward, that you want to raise on the topic? No, I, we, we spoke earlier about the thermal imaging. I've, I've seen
0: some surveys where this was used, mostly aimed at switchboards and the electrical. Uh, Components, not necessarily to find the fire. However, we have larger high end yards which have thermal imaging in their uh, firefighting gear. That's not a requirement, but they have it, which is actually quite nice to see during the drills what kind of high-end technology they can use. But coming back to the thermal imaging, I think it's very valuable to do this on a regular basis from out your plant maintenance system, Uh, specifically every five years when you do the class survey or the special survey with the breakers need to be surveyed, the big components. There's not really a trend because it was done 15 years ago already in some Dutch new builds where the The shipyard themselves already acknowledged the fact that we have electrical components behind linings. I said, well, why don't we put a fire detector behind the lining instead of? On the lining. And I think that's the, the fire we talked about. I think that can yep. be a valuable detecting tool. And that doesn't mean you have to have uh, 500 detectors everywhere and hidden, but on strategic locations, putting a fire detector next to the component instead of underneath on the lining, that's an early means of detection if something goes wrong. So I think that can add quite easily. A lot of safety without going all overboard in investments. But you need to be aware at the new build, not every yard will see the value of it. But if you are an owner's team on, on board of a yacht, you might point out a few additionals to put it there. And we can uh, certainly recommend it as well from where we're coming from, especially when it's well, a high-power electrical component. You could argue if it should be there in anyway, but putting an additional detector in the place where an electrical component is hidden is a early signaling device for uh, catching a fire. And I think that can avoid a lot of searching before you have a fire spread behind. behind Yeah, Exactly. And
1: as we touched upon earlier, when they're behind these panels, they do tend to spread without detection. And the nature of the composition of yachts is that they're made from normally quite flammable materials. So the quicker that these can be detected and uh, extinguished, the lesser the impact of these electrical problems. Yeah.
0: yeah. So the early detection is probably where we can increase quite a lot of safety. Yeah. You mentioned retrofitting of lighting on yours. Yeah, that, that is also, you, you need to, <laughs> if you retrofit lighting. We have seen good trends where you replace the existing lighting for LEDs, which is less power consumption, less heat radiation. And There are a few examples where heat radiations of traditional lighting has caused fires. If you go to LEDs, I think that's a good thing, but you need to know how you have to install them by yeah. not introducing an additional fire assets by installing them incorrectly. I think there is a movement towards LED lighting and when they originally installed, it's probably not a big of an issue, but retrofitting is not plug and play. Not not that easy. It's easy, set and done. There might be a bit more consequences to it than just taking the bulb out and putting another bulb in. You need to know what you do. That, that springs in mind from
1: our previous conversation. Yeah, again, as I touched upon earlier, this, the faulty lighting is something that we've seen kind of quite prevalent with the, the claims we've experienced at the club. So it's good to know that uh, this needs to be done properly. And it's as you say, it's not just a case of plug and play. And that if whilst the move to LED lighting is beneficial, that it needs to be done properly rather than just... As you say, plug and play. So, yes.
0: yeah, that's that's probably the last topic I think is good to mention. Yeah, the I and we always stress fire ISM or in general the importance of a plant maintenance system. Mm-hmm. The plant maintenance system is not necessarily something which is only for the engineer. It's quite often regarded as that. Oh, that's for the engine room. Now, a plant maintenance system, you can incorporate your safety equipment, your electrical components, your not probably non-essential components from where we're coming from, but the essential components for the clients, the owner, the charter guests, AVAT, you can also put that in your plant maintenance system. And if you have that all there with some safety checks there as well, I think that can only stress the importance of it. And if it's more reliable by doing the proper inspections and maintenance, which you have to do, that's also better for your guests on board in the end. So it can actually be beneficial for all parties. Of course, yeah, it,
1: it prevents uh, any major incidents happening and also keeps equipment and everything in, in good condition. Yes. And as you say, if you're chartering the yacht, then that's only beneficial twofold. So, yeah, thank you very much. It was very, very informative, very, very useful. So thank you very much for your time.
0: Uh, we as uh, are happy to share this, and it's it's in our and in the client's benefit to to move towards uh, a more safer shipping environment. It's in your benefit as well. it's uh, not something which which we hide for ourselves. If with our advice, different flexible ship becomes more safe, or the other way around, that's only good for the industry in entirety. And if we can in any sh- way shape or form contribute, that's that's always a good thing. So yeah, it's, so it's thank you for the opportunity. We yeah. we're have to assist here
1: no probably i think the thing with the yachting industry is sometimes it can be a bit insular and i don't like to share so much information so getting together like this with yourself and the other people we're talking to on this podcast hopefully shows that we can be collaborative as an industry and learn together and kind of share useful information and make the industry a little bit safer
0: yeah well i uh, signed up for that one thank you very
1: much. <laughs> okay thanks again edward Join us next time for the final episode in this podcast series where I'm joined by two of my colleagues at Shipowners Club, Nicola and Chev, where we discuss yacht fires from the club's perspective.